Let me start out by asking a question. Y'all ever thought, y'all ever uh, been at a place? Y'all ever felt at a place? Anybody? Just, you felt at a place? Come on, a few? You've only, only a, okay, everybody has felt at a place at some point, right? Um, I know we don't know each other that well, but uh, I grew up homeschool. Thanks, mom. Appreciate that. And so, uh, yeah, we, do we got any more homeschoolers in the house? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. There's some homeschoolers. So I grew up homeschool and uh, my parents ended up getting a divorce when I was about to go into the sixth grade. And, uh, you know, that's the awkward years. That's like the middle school years, like your awkward years. So not only did I feel out of place, I just felt even more awkward because it was middle school. And so, uh, man, I entered into the halls of middle school, and uh, I, don't, I don't know why I was getting these notes from these girls. I'm like, what, do you like my puka shell? Maybe it's the puka shell necklace or the frosted tips. I think we got a picture. Um, oh, man. Oh, Lord. Whoa. Whoa. Y'all quit hating. That's just wrong. Some of you over there just, man, who is this guy? So, so this, is, this is middle school, y'all. And I would get these notes. I'm like, man, what do I do with these notes? Because the only girls I ever went to school with were my sisters. And if they wrote me notes, that would just be weird, right? And so, and so they would pass me out these notes. And I didn't really know what to do with them. And it just felt awkward. And it was just weird. And I just felt out of place. And, and I start there tonight because here's what I know. When you don't know your purpose, then inevitably you're going to feel out of place. Let me, let me say that again. When you don't know your purpose, which I didn't, man, I was like public school coming from private, you know, homeschool, whatever you want to call it, right? Into the halls of public school. I just felt out of place. But this is what I knew. When you don't know your purpose, which I didn't, inevitably you're going to feel out of place. And, and so I don't, I don't know, that was me. What about you? Maybe it's, you know, visiting your girlfriend's family for the first time over the holidays and you got her brother staring at you, right, with that stank eye. Uh, that, that was me uh, at times. Uh, m- maybe, it's, maybe it's just you nearing your mid-20s, late-20s, and you're still single and you're watching everybody go on dates and maybe even getting engaged and you're just like, man, I just feel so out of place. I don't even know what to do with this season anymore. Or, or maybe you dudes, man, y'all go to yoga for the first time because you're trying to press your girlfriend. It's like, and, and come on, let's just be honest. Going to yoga with your girlfriend, don't even tell me that ain't awkward. That's just weird, y'all. Maybe it's coming into the four walls of the church, if you had to be honest tonight. Someone said, hey, we're going to this conference. And all you heard was conference. You didn't hear it was a church conference, but they just dragged you here. They said it's going to be a mechanical ball, and there's going to be some live band, and there's going to be some food, and there's going to be some fun and some dancing after, and there's this party. And you find yourself in this place and you're like, man, people are raising their hands and they're singing out loud and now they got their Bibles open and then they got their notebooks and it's just like, I just feel out of place. When you don't know your purpose, then inevitably you're going to feel out of place. And tonight I want to talk about purpose because Many of us, man, we're driving through this thing called life and we're we're chasing this job, this salary, this girl, this guy, this club, whoa, this drug, this party, and we think it's going to give us purpose, but really, you know this to be true, it only leaves you empty or it only leaves you wanting more and more, all the while never stopping to ask the question, why am I here, what is my purpose, and who is God? A.W. Tozer said this, the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. 
Like what comes to mind when you think about God because that's the most important thing about you and me. And so we're going through this thing called life and I believe the greatest tragedy in a person's life is that they miss out on their purpose to stand before their creator, to stand before God and for him to say, hey, you did all these things but you missed out on the one thing that was gonna give you purpose and you wasted what I would given you. You wasted your time, you wasted your talent, and you wasted your treasure. This is why the book of wisdom, also known as Ecclesiastes, says this in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. And you know this to be true, deep down inside of us, when you go to bed, you ask this question, hey, what is my purpose? Like, why am I here? What, does my, what, what meaning do I have to my life? Because, hey, I, I think there's something more. I think there's more that God would have for me. I think, you know, this thing that I'm pursuing, it's just not doing it anymore. Several years ago in 2005, there's an interview Tom Brady did for 60 Minutes. Tom Brady, the uh, now Tampa Bay Buccaneer quarterback who's been in the league for 50 years, it sounds like, or seems like. And, uh, but, but no, man, he had three Super Bowl rings at the time. Now he has seven Super Bowl rings, right? Oldest quarterback in the league right now. And, and this is what he says. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? This was in 2005. Now he has seven and still believe there's something greater out there for me. He went on to say, Gosh, there's got to be something more. And there is, Tom. And there is, High Street. There's way more. And so tonight we're asking the question, why are you here? What is your purpose in life? And tonight I want you, I want to answer that. You ready for this? Our purpose in life. I'm just going to give you the answer on the front and you can write it down if you're taking notes because we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 3 tonight. But I want to give you the answers on the front and then we're just going to unpack it over the next few minutes. Our purpose, you ready for this, is to know Jesus and then to make him known. And I know you're like an eyes roll back. It's like, man, I've heard that before, Josiah. You mean I paid for this conference just to hear that? Nah, man. There's way more. But write this down. Your purpose is to know Jesus and then to make him known. There's a God who is the author of life and he has purposes for you. He loves you too much to let you pursue any other purpose other than those two things. It's why you have oxygen tonight. It's why your heart is beating. It's why you have a body that functions It's why you have words that come out of your mouth when you talk. We'll be in Philippians 3 tonight, like I said, and we're going to unpack these verses starting in verse 3, but we're going to find a guy named Paul who used to persecute Christians but epic proportions, and then he got... Um, knocked off his horse. Man, you can read it. It's amazing. But it's an incredible story about Paul who used to persecute Christians, literally kill Christians, and then he began to be a hope dealer. In other words, God arrested his heart. He intersected his life. Paul said, hey, I'm all yours, God. I'm going to surrender to you. And he began to live for the purpose that God had for him to know Jesus and to make him known. And he's about to lay out his resume. He's about to lay out everything 
great about this guy. It'd be like you sharing all the incredible reels on your Instagram feed about the last year of your life or the last 25 years, the last 21 years of your life. And this is what he says in verse three. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Sounds a little arrogant, but let's see what he has to say. Then Paul goes through his resume. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their efforts, I have even more. It just gets more and more prideful, it sounds like. Verse five. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, man, I kept the law and I was faultless, man. I obeyed it without fault, he said. Now, let me put this in modern language because, you know, that's kind of high language and we're like, what, what is he saying? It's like this. This, this, this is what Paul's saying it, it, because we read it and it's like, what does that even mean? He says, you want to talk about my family? I was born to noble parents. They got connections everywhere. You want to talk about my education, Missouri State? <laughs> Please, man. Ivy League with honors, right? This, I mean, this is what he's saying, right? He's saying, hey, you want to talk about power? I got authority over my enemies. You want to talk about religion? Man, I can persecute whoever comes against my religion. I never miss a day of church. I memorize more scripture than you have forgotten. I have, I mean, I, I got it all when it comes to these things. You want to talk about respect? Old, older guys call me for advice. You want to talk about money, stuff, status, respect? I win. What, what are you holding on to to give you purpose tonight? That would be a good question to ask right now. Like, what are you holding on to in your life to give you purpose? You being the college athlete, the, the guy or girl you're dating, the six-figure income, your corner office, the promotion, your body, your good looks, your Instagram reel, your sorority house, your frat. <laughs> your group of friends, like, like what, are you, what are you holding on to? What are you deeming as, man, this is, this is everything that gives you purpose? And talk, then Paul comes down to, your, down to earth and gets on our level. He turns everything on its head. Of everything he just said, he turns on its head when it comes to finding our purpose. Verse seven, I once thought that these things were valuable. I love that, just circle, valuable. But now I consider them worthless, circle, worthless. Why does he consider them worthless? Because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, just circle that. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. I've counted as garbage. The Greek word for garbage here is scrupula, which literally means crap. It's slang for trash. It's like, it's like dung. It's like, it's like just, I'm not going to say it, but you know what I mean. Like, it, it, like it's just trash, man. All the stuff that Paul gained in his life is garbage compared to knowing Christ. So that why? He could gain Christ. So what's your purpose? 
First point tonight is this, know Jesus. Know Jesus. Know Jesus. Like, where should I work, Josiah? Like, should I take this job or that job? I don't know. Which job is going to allow you to know Jesus more? Like, like which job is going to allow you to leverage your time, your treasure, and your talent for his glory? Like, am I going to get married or am I going to stay single the rest of my life? I, I don't know. Honor God. Let, let God worry about that. Like, like you pursue Jesus. You pursue knowing him. Like, like you can be married and miss out on your purpose or you can be single and miss out on your purpose. But married or single, if you live to know Jesus, you're never going to miss out on your purpose. I promise you, that's a money back guarantee promise. Like nobody's going to get to heaven and be like, like, like what's up with that, God? Like, like single man? Like really? Streets of gold? Like you never, you never let anyone ask me out? Like what's up with that, God? Like single Steve over here? Like no, like no one's going to say that. Single Susan? Like no, no, no one's going to say that. Like God's going to be like, hey, look at everything I've given you. It's all yours. Like there's no, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. Like nobody's going to get up to heaven and stand before God and, and be like, what's up with that, God? How can no one ever ask me out? How come I never got married? It's just, it's just not going to happen. Sometimes when you're studying scripture, the English language falls short to define a word in its entirety. Like the word no here in Philippians 3, there's three words to describe no. Doxa, which that means um, like just kind of hearing things through the grapevine. It's this kind of hearsay. Paul saying, hey, I don't want to dox to Jesus. I don't want to just hear about Jesus through the grapevine. Like I don't want to just have a Twitter feed type of faith where 140 characters or less and that's my daily dose of Jesus for the day. He says, no, that's not the kind of, that's not the kind of faith I want. Episteme is another Greek word uh, that describes no. And, and Paul's saying, hey, I don't want to episteme. I don't, I don't want to know something through just a bunch of book knowledge. I just don't want to get a bunch of knowledge and get puffed up and listen to a bunch of uh, sermons or, or just read these, you know, well thought of books, you know, C.S. Lewis. Like, he's like, I, just don't, I don't want to just read my Bible and, and just leave it there. Like, I don't want to just have this episteme, this, this knowledge of God. And let me just digress for a second. Many of us need to know less and do more instead of knowing more and doing less. Like we got more truth than what we can obey. Like, like listen to me for a second. Like some of us, we don't just need another sermon, another message, just to sing a few more worship songs. Like we need to take what we, what we, what we hear tonight, even if you've heard this passage a thousand times or a hundred times, you've never heard it before. Like you need to take this and you need to say, God, what would you have for your servant if you're a follower of Jesus? Because it's not information that equals transformation, it's information plus application that equals transformation. And some of us, we have more truth than what we can obey. And Paul's saying, hey, I don't want to episteme God. Like, I don't want to just know him by just getting a bunch of knowledge. He says this, hey, I want to gnosis. This word gnosis in the Greek, it means you, you know it through experience. You, you don't know how good something is unless you taste it, unless your teeth sink into it. I remember the first time I had, I had real meat. 
like real, real hamburgers, like, like, I mean, like raised up on a farm. My, my brother-in-law lives in West Virginia, and he raises cows, and I just, man, this steak, he sent me some meat down from West Virginia from his cow that he raised up. I'm like, man, this stuff tastes way different, man, than the Kroger meat, or y'all got Kroger here? I don't know if y'all got Kroger, Walmart meat, whatever, y'all got Costco meat even, right? No, no like the, the, the meat was way different. And it was like a party going on in my mouth, man. It was like something I experienced. It was amazing. This is what Paul's saying here. I, I want to experience Jesus in a way that transforms my life. The purpose of my life is to know Christ in a way where we've experienced him. We've tasted and we've seen the goodness of God. I pray that that happens this weekend. Amen. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Not this doxa, not episteme where you read about some books or you just get some tweets from a friend of people that know Jesus really, really well, but you know Jesus in a way that he's changed your life. If you don't know Jesus, man, you're going to spend the rest of your life on an endless treadmill, gripping at momentary highs and lows that might sustain you for 85 years. Then you're going to die and go into the dirt and be compost. And then you're going to stand before your creator. And you're going to give an account for everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've thought of. Jesus says it this way in John 17, 3, he says this, and this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God, and this is done through Jesus Christ, the one whom he has sent. Notice how he says, hey, hey, eternal life isn't that you show up to church every Sunday and every Tuesday and you sing worship songs and you listen to messages. Eternal life is that you don't just, you know, you, you, you read a few verses a day. Eternal life is that you just walk the aisle and you pray to prayer and, 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 and you wear a Christian t-shirt or you have a cross necklace. Eternal life is that you know God through the person of Jesus Christ. How, how do you know Jesus? It starts with you having an understanding of the gospel, the good news, like so many of us right now, we're, we, we think we're with Jesus, but we're fooling ourselves into thinking because we really, if we had to be honest with ourselves, we have a fake faith. Like some of us need to realize we're not a Christian to actually become a Christian. Like this was my story. 21 years of my life. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. You know, I'm like singing it, right? And I'm just like, yeah. Playing college baseball. Running to the party. Running to the bottle. Running from one relationship to the next. A porn, a porn addict behind closed doors. The life of the party, right? I'm a believer. Yeah, I believe in God. Got my cross necklace, got my Bible next to my bed. Even went to church every once in a while on Sunday. My life came to a screeching halt. I was getting off the bus from playing a three-game series, and I asked myself the question, is that it? What's my purpose in life? If I don't have anything else, like, like man, is my life, is this it? Because if this is all that there is, I don't want it. And I remember asking those questions and I went back to my apartment and my, and my roommates, also my teammates were getting ready to go out to the party. I just looked down and said, hey, I'm taking this one off. And I went to my bathroom mirror after they left my apartment 
And I looked at myself in the mirror and I bent over and I just said, God, if you're real, will you allow yourself, will will you reveal yourself to me? Because I hate my life. On the outside, I thought I had everything. On the outside, people thought I was good. On the outside, they thought I had arrived. Everything I worked so hard for was finally starting to fall into place by the world standards. And I remember that night, I said, God, hey, listen, I don't want any of this. Is this if this is how it's going to make me feel, if this, is, if this is all that there is, God, I want to go. I, I want to I give up baseball. I want to drop out of school. Like, I'm done. And over the next few days, God began to reveal to me for the first time my sin in light of a holy God, a a perfect God. I always tell people, hey, you'll never appreciate the cross of Jesus Christ until you understand your your, your sin. Because for so long I would compare my life to everyone else and I always found someone worse than me, which gave me security in the fact that I wasn't that bad. Like some of you tonight, if you had to be honest with yourself, like you look around and you're like, man, yeah, I'm I'm better than him, I'm better than most. and, and, And you know, I would even compare my life to people in the church and I could always find someone worse than me. And for the first time in that season of life, as I was finishing up my junior year in college, I hit my knees, I cried out to God, I said, oh God, would you forgive me, a wretched sinner? I need you. I need you to save me, I need you to forgive me. And the cross finally began to be something bigger than I've ever seen before. I realized for the first time I needed forgiveness and only Jesus could offer that. I realized for the first time my eyes were open to the fact that Jesus got what I deserve and I got what he deserved on the cross. Let me ask you something. Have your hands ever been to places that they probably should never have gone? The Bible says that Jesus had nails in his hands for every time your hands and my hands have been to places they should never have gone. How about your about your feet, man? Have you ever taken your feet to places they should never have gone? The Bible said Jesus had a nail that was pierced in his feet for every time you've taken your feet and I've taken my feet to places that should never have gone. How about your eyes, man? You ever looked at things and thought of things? The Bible says that Jesus wore a crown of thorns right above his eyes for every time you and I have looked at things and thought of things that we shouldn't have looked at or thought of. How about your back, man? You ever turned your back on God? Oh, I did. After my parents divorced, I didn't want anything to do with God. Turned my back on God another season when my college roommate died in a tragic plane accident. I said, God, where are you? The Bible says that Jesus, right before he got up on the cross, these Roman centurion soldiers took these whips, and at the end of whips were sharp glass, nails, and metal objects, and they whipped Jesus. Every time you've turned your back, and I've turned my back on God. How about your heart? Your heart ever hardened itself to God? Oh, I know what mine has. The Bible says that right before they took Jesus down from the cross, another Roman centurion soldier pierced Jesus right underneath the heart. For every time your heart and my heart hardened itself to God. Here's why this is important. Because Jesus soaked up every last ounce of God's wrath the wrath that should have been poured out on you and me. And three days later, the scripture says in history records that he defeated sin and death, that the grave is open, that that, that, that there's no more death. This is what separates us from every other religion in the world. I tried, I, I examined the religions before I committed my life to Jesus. Jesus is alive, like if he's not alive, then what are we singing to? We're singing to some dead God. 
But the Bible says he's alive and he's powerful and he wants to work in your life. And the sin that we uh, have committed, man, he has, he's, he's taken it on himself. He died for, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And when sin came into the world, it sent creation and chaos. The reason why you and I are subjected to horrible things, like the testimony we just heard, abuse and tragic plane accidents and coronaviruses and death and rape and murder and every horrible thing you could ever think of. It's not because God is a bad God. It's because sin is cursed to this world. But I've read the rest of the book, y'all. He says the former things will pass away and he's going to make all things new. Paradise lost in the garden will be paradise regained someday. That we're going to be in Eden one day. And that is an incredible promise that you and I can hold on to. And that became a reality in my life. You want to know Jesus? you got to start by understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the cross isn't just a decoration that people wear around their necks anymore. It's a declaration to the world that sin has been paid for. Maybe you're like I was, asking the question, who would want me? Broken, dirty, filled with baggage. You know who would want you? Jesus. Jesus would want you. The Bible said that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of Christ. You can be in right standing with God, not based on what you do, but based on what he's done. This is what Paul's getting at in verse 9. He continues this thought in Philippians 3 verse 9, the same passage. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Listen, y'all. We don't work for our salvation. That is a free gift from God so that no man may boast. Amen? Like this is an incredible, like if, if, if you're like just checking out right now, like the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that needs to transform you in, from the inside out. And it never did. It never did until I was 21 years old in my apartment sitting there finishing up my junior year of college. Like some of you tonight, you think, man, I, I'm a good person. And I bet you are. But every good work outside of the work of Christ will fall short. Because if you could get to heaven based on your good works, what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Even your good works, the Bible says, are filthy rags before a holy, perfect God. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He proved it on the cross. Like some of you tonight, that's the only message you need to hear. Like just tune me out for the rest of the, rest of the talk. Right there, you have a decision to make. Will you receive that grace? Will you quit working to try to be a good person because you'll never be good enough? He loves you. He wants to make you right with him. And so for those of you, my friends, who have received this grace, you spend the rest of your life knowing him how. You actually begin to live out your faith. You wake up spending time with the Lord like you read this book. You talk to God in the same way you talk to your best friend, in the same way you talk to acquaintances. Like you begin to talk to God. You begin to read this book. You begin to hear the words of God. Like how many of you think that, hey, can you really know God apart from this book? You can't. 
You begin to um, put the things in this book into practice. Like you follow someone who's following Christ. Like after I came to Christ, I found the most godliest man. I said, hey, like I know this sounds crazy, but man, can I just learn from you? Can you just teach me everything you know? Can I come hang out with your family? I promise you I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not, like I just, want, I just want to see how you treat your wife. I want to see how you treat your kids. I want to see how you, man, do this thing that we call life. And he took me in. I just said, teach me. Find the godliest woman you know, ladies, and ask them if you can live life with them. Take them to lunch, buy their lunch, buy their coffee, do whatever it takes. Babysit their kids, whatever you have to do. Like, no, like get into the weeds of people who love Jesus. Pursue healing from addictions. Walk in love, humility, kindness, flee from sexual immorality, drunkenness, drugs, anything that's going to take your eyes off of Jesus. And can I just tell you, I would be remiss not to spend a couple minutes just sharing this. Like none of this can happen. And I mean this, y'all, apart from biblical community. Like the first thing that God called me Two, after he called me from my sin, was to change my playground and my playmates. Like that's what we call community, to get with some other brothers who are going to love Jesus, some other sisters that are going to love Jesus, and just, man, hey, I need this. I need this badly. Hey, those people that you're hanging out with, I don't care if they just call themselves a Christian. If they don't stir your affections for Christ when you hang out with them, they're probably not the people that need to be your closest friends. Why did I change my playground and my playmates? Because I got really good at wearing a mask. You know, it's kind of like this mask. I had to wear this mask most of the day today. I hated it. Like I had to, man, praise God, I don't have to wear it when I get to Springfield, but I had to jump on a plane. But it's kind of like this mask, you know? Like this thing's weird, it's awkward. Like when you put it on, it itches. I don't know about you, I'm constantly messing with it, right? It's just, it's horrible. And, and you know, we've been, we've been wearing this for over a year now. But, but even though this is weird and awkward physically, spiritually, like we've been doing this for a long time. Like, like spiritually speaking, we've been wearing a mask for a really, really long time. Like the, a mask spiritually represents, hey, hiding from your sin. Like suppressing those things that you don't want anyone to know about. Like you wear a mask every time you sin and you don't ever confess that to someone that can help you and hold you accountable to be God's man or to be God's woman. Like it's, you know, at the end of the day, man, we're not really any different. Like physically, yes, but spiritually, we've been wearing a mask for a long time. But you know who I'm not wearing a mask around? My community. It's men in my life that know me in thought, in word, and action. And no matter where I've been in those three categories throughout my week, I can go to them every single week and I say, here's where I've been. Let me tell you. I'm convinced that some of us will never experience We'll never be fully loved, like we'll never experience full love until we're fully known. Because if you're not fully known, you're always just kind of putting your best foot forward and it's just some false version of yourself. And so a lot of us will never be fully known until we're fully, or a lot of us will never be fully loved until we're fully known. 
Uh, several months ago, I was studying for a message I was about to teach the next day, and uh, my wife and I, we got into an argument. We just had some conflict, and um, we kind of worked it out, and, you know, the Bible says don't let the sun go down in your anger. It didn't say not let the sun go down in your conflict. And so, like, hey, babe, you know, I'm not angry. Hey, she told me I'm not angry. Okay, great. Let's try to pick this up in the morning. And so she goes to bed, and I have to get some studying done, and Man, it was, uh, it was late. It was like I started studying about 11 o'clock. And I went to study. And bam, in that moment, Satan began to tempt me with pornography. He said, hey, just click that. Just go there. Just hit that. Go there. Click there. Look up that. Scroll here. And I had a decision to make because it was just a thought. And I could, I could reach out to my community and say, guys, I'm getting tempted even on a thought level. Would you remind me the next day and ask me if I won the battle? Or I could just entertain those thoughts. And I bet you that would have led to action. But by God's grace, I picked up my phone, I texted my guys, and I said, guys, I'm tempted right now to click here, to scroll there. Would you ask me tomorrow if I won the battle? And I knew Satan wanted nothing more than to get me to fall right before I was going to teach. And by God's grace, I didn't look at anything. And by God's grace, they texted me the next morning and said, hey, bro, did you win the battle? And I said, I did. And that next morning, I got to stand before my wife and we got to resolve our conflict. And I got to say, hey, babe, I was faithful. I was faithful. But don't be fooled. I wanted to wear the mask to cover up my brokenness. You think I wanted those men to see that, hey, even Josiah as this pastor, this figurehead, you know, at the porch and, you know, this, you know, guy that, you know, teaches and shares God's word. Like, I wanted them to see me as strong. I didn't want them to see me as weak. But by God's grace, I took off the mask, even on a thought level. And I trusted that I wouldn't get infected with shame and condemnation by those men, that I wouldn't get sick by, because some of you men, you're like, hey, no, I can't confess that because they would shame me. They would mismanage information and use this against me. But instead, they will know you even more and that because they know you even more, they can begin to love you more. And so a lot of this is you just stepping out in faith and saying, God, I trust you that there's a group of women, there's a group of men that, hey, I, I've learned to, 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 to go before them with some information and they've helped managed it well and they've, they, they've responded well to me and, and I think I can, I can share even more. And tonight I'm encouraging you to do that because some of you, man, you're living a life of, 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 of shame and condemnation because you're not allowing this sin to be exposed. See, the power of sin is always in secrecy. The secret to life is always to live a life without secrets. And some of you tonight, you are so committed that you're taking whatever you've done in the past or even in the present to the grave and God's saying, hey, that's not where healing's found. That's not how you're gonna know me more. One of God's primary provisions on your life is community, people of God, people uh, that, that love him, that will begin to come alongside of you and help you grow and help you to become God's man and God's woman. Women. Tonight is the night 
where you can take off the mask by faith and you don't have to stay there. You don't have to be carrying that anymore. You can be set free. Look, look, look at what Psalm 32, 3 says. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my, growing, my, through my groanings all day long. Like some of us, man, we, we are going to get physically sick. We're going to get so plagued with anxiety and, and worry and, and even depression is going to set in because we're not living a life of transparency, but instead we're living a life of secrecy. James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins one to another, pray for one another so that you may be, come on, come on, come on, healed. I'm convinced there's a lot of people walking around forgiven by God. 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sin one to another, he'll be faithful to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sin, he'll be faithful to forgive you of that sin. But then James 5.16 says, you've got to confess your sin one to another. So horizontally, man, wh- where are you? Vertically, you're good. Like you've confessed it to God. But horizontally, we see that healing takes place. Is that you tonight? I mean, you're forgiven by God, but you're not healed. It's time to take off the mask tonight. What are the masks that you're tempted to put on and wear? Know Jesus. You want to know Jesus? Begin to partner with his people. Begin to run with his people and watch them come alongside of you and love you in a way that you've never been loved before. You'll never be fully known until you begin to step out in faith and share those things that you've held on to forever. And as you're fully known, you'll be loved in an incredible way that you've never experienced before. Could it be that you really don't know Jesus because you're not living out your faith in a radical way, in, in, in a way that, 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 that causes you to see God and in, in, in his church, his people, in the way what we're talking about tonight. Like there's a reason you go to bed and say, man, there's got to be more. And I'm, I'm miserable with the same old thing. Weekend warrior, porn, Tinder hookups, workaholic, uncommitted relationships, idolizing your academics, and half-heartedly pursuing to know Jesus. And Paul is saying, hey, you want to know Jesus? Begin to understand that you can't know him apart from you saying no to these things that you're building these things that you're building as a resume to think that you're somebody when no, the only person that's somebody is him, Jesus. Like you're, you're, you're thinking that you're somebody because you got all this stuff. He's saying, hey, remove all of that. All that's garbage apart from knowing him. Like those things aren't bad in themselves, but they have become idols. And that's what God is asking you to examine tonight. Paul continues in verse 12 and he says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all these things or I've already reached perfection, but I press on and possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed in me. 
No, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Listen, your past doesn't define you when you know Jesus. Like you don't have to be defined by your past. Like some of you are so caught up in your past that you're thinking that's what defines you. And Jesus says, no, you're, the slate is wiped clean. When you receive the grace and you allow the Spirit of God through the people of God to come into your life and to begin to hold you accountable and to love you no matter where you've been in thought, word, and action. And tonight, if you don't know the answer to your purpose, then tonight's the night for you to begin a relationship to know Jesus. Once you know Jesus, then you have no choice than to make him known. Point number two, here we go. Make Jesus known. The same guy, Paul, in Acts 4, 29-31, this is what he says. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with what? Great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through your name your, of your holy servant, Jesus. After they, prayed, the, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Do you notice what Paul prayed for here? He didn't pray for comfort. He didn't pray for convenience. He prayed for boldness. What would it look like if you and I, every time we met with our people, like we just started praying for boldness, that God would allow us to open our mouths and, and share the, the, the incredible work that he's done in our life just with the people around us, with your, you know, classmates with the sorority house, the frat house, the, the, the office that you uh, take resonate in or whatever you, you know, wherever you work, the coffee shops, the restaurant, wherever it is, right? And you would pray this prayer. Like you're sitting in your car, you're getting ready to go have dinner with a friend and you know this friend doesn't know Jesus and you just say, God, would you give me boldness? You're about to meet someone for coffee and you're, you're, you're at the booth and they're waiting. You're waiting to meet them and you just say, God, would you give me boldness to open my mouth? You're, you're about to board the plane and you know you're going to be sitting next to someone that probably doesn't know Jesus. And would you just say, God, would you give me boldness to open my mouth? God, would you give me boldness? God, would you help me because I'm scared? You know that's a prayer that God will always answer? It's a prayer that God will always answer. A prayer for boldness to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Watch out if you decide to pray that because he's going to put people in your path to share that with. What would it look like if just this room right here, hundreds of people, Begin to pray that prayer tonight. And God begin to empower you to go out wherever you live, neighborhoods, apartment complexes, and you would open your mouth and you begin to share the hope that lies within you. Acts 4 prayer, Lord, empower your servants to walk in love, to speak your word with great boldness. Would you save every young adult in Springfield? That's my prayer for Dallas, that would you save every young adult in Dallas? That's not just some pithy, pie-in-the-sky prayer that we pray. We know that God can, and we know that he wants to use you. You're his plan A. There is no plan B. 
Like you are his plan A. We can never be too timid where we don't allow others to interrupt or we never interrupt other people. And we can never be too busy where we don't allow people to interrupt us. Like if you walk, if you, if you look at Jesus, he walks slowly through the crowds. Are you too timid where you won't interrupt other people? Are you too busy where no one can ever interrupt you and you're not interruptible? If you're going to share the gospel, if you're going to make Jesus known, you've got to live a life in a way that you're going to be interruptible. This book says to pray for boldness. It says also not just boldness, but boldness to share. See, I think sometimes we have it, we have it backwards. Like we think our job is to save and God's saying, no, no, your job is to share. They said, the scoreboard is not saving. The scoreboard is sharing. Like so many times, young adults come up to me and say, Josiah, shared. And man, it, it, like they didn't come to Christ. I'm like, who, who cares? That's not your job. Like what if we started seeing the scoreboard that was sharing? And we were like pumping each other up, high-fiving, fist bumping, like let's go. Even if people didn't come to know you, come to know Jesus. Like, I think something would happen. Like, like these 300 would turn into 600. And you would begin to live a life of purpose beyond anything you've ever lived. Like, some of you are probably already doing this. And you're like, yeah, it's the most incredible thing I've ever done, Josiah. But it was scary at first. That's why I'm encouraging you to pray for boldness. If you're not boldly sharing, then Satan is winning. Boldness is the birthright of the believer. Paul says in Acts 20, 24, but my life is worth nothing to me. That's a bold statement. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by my Lord Jesus. What's that work, Paul? The work of telling others the good news about his wonderful grace. You make him known through your job. You make him known through your apartment complex, through your relationships. Listen, you can have passions. You can have incredible uh, aspirations. You can have incredible goals and visions for your life, but not at the expense that your passion isn't to know God and to make him known. You tell your passions its purpose, and I promise you, your purpose will always be big. You'll never live a life without purpose. But so often we, we, we just, like, I'm going to do what I'm passionate about. And we forget why we were created. We forget why we have breath in our lungs. And the reason why some of you, man, you're checked out with Christianity is you've never really known or walked out your true purpose. Like you come to Worship service after worship service. You sing songs after songs. You, you listen to message after message. You hang out with your holy huddle and your Christian cliques and you never scatter from your gathering. And God's saying, hey, trust me. I want to use you, son. I want to use you, daughter. Let's go. He's changing the world and he can use you to do it. Like Satan is real, man. He's powerful. He's roaming around. He's seeking to devour. And I bet you he's devouring some of you tonight in your secrecy. He's devouring some of you because he's switching price tags, man. He wants you to, he wants you to uh, see that the things in life that um, are really, really important, he wants, you to get to, he wants you to see that the things in life that you think are really, really important should be important. When God's saying, hey, the things that, you, that, that you're seeing in life that are really, really important, they're really not that important. Like he's switching, like you're being duped, man, by Springfield. And, and the things that aren't really, really important are really, really important to God. 
Philip Zimbardo, the chair of Western Psychological Foundation, wrote a book called The Demise of Guys, reported that the average guy from the time they turn 21 will spend 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000 hours playing video games. It takes half that time to earn your bachelor degree. Listen, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm not hating on video games. But if that... It's taking that much time, I would say that's an idol. And that's going to lead to greater levels of anxiety and depression. And God is saying, hey, listen, I'm not hating on video games, but you're missing a bigger story here that I'm trying to write in your life. The world is on fire today with war, injustice, sex slavery, crippling poverty, and God is looking for men to step up and be men. Where are the men? Are there men in this room that says, hey, I'm going to take my passions that I have in life, and I'm going to tell my passions its purpose, and so whatever I do, I'm going to know God, and I'm going to make him known, but I'm not going to make... These other things known at the expense of not making God known. Ladies, let me talk to you for a second. Like, God is looking for strong women that aren't so consumed with Bravo and like, like, like these shows we watch, like Real Housewives or The Bachelor. And, and, and listen, nothing wrong with that. But listen, if, if that's consuming you and allowing you to live in some fantasy world that's never going to come true, like you're missing your purpose. God's built you for a kingdom and he's inviting you to play a part of that kingdom. He has plans for you that he's going to feature in eternity, but we must stay in relationship with our creator. And too many of us are saying, hey, God, thanks for making me, but I'm going to do me. And God has given you a key called the gospel. And there's people around you that are sitting in prisons that you used to sit in. And you got the key to unlock the prisons that you used to sit in that they're currently sitting in. And if you take that key called the gospel and you begin to share that, you begin to make him known. Listen, you're going to see transformation happen like we just saw in the video. And he's going to give you an incredible purpose that you can't deny. And it's going to be bigger than anything you've ever done. But some of us have to forsake the things we're doing that are just leading to futile living. And one day, man, every one of you that you shared Christ with will thank you in heaven and the others that you shared Christ with will wish they had listened. But everyone will be glad that you shared the truth with them. Are you living for yourself? or in relationship with your creator? Do you know Jesus? Are you living to make Jesus known? Or are you living to make yourself known on the gram? In your sorority, in your frat, in your office, climbing the next corporate promotion. Paul says in Philippians 1.21 as we close, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that, is that true in your life? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if I'm living, I'm going to live for Christ and anything and everything I do. But if I die, man, I, I just got a promotion. As we close, I, I, want, you to, um, I want you to envision 
that this ladder represents your life. And um, every step or every rung on this ladder represents a decade of your life. And you're traveling through your life in your teenage years or, you know, you're 18, 19, or you're in your 20s or 30s even. And, and, and you would say, hey, to live is success. To live is relationships. To live is graduation. To live is uh, to make a name for myself. To live is, you know, making six figures and being a millionaire by the time I'm 30. To live is uh, getting married and maybe having a family. What would you say to live is? And listen, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. But, but we're traveling through life and, you know, we're, we're, we're in our 20s and we're like, man, I'm, I'm trying to get to, I'm trying to land that job, right? And, and I, I just graduated um, and, and maybe you even graduated from your master's degree and, and you're, you're, you've landed that, that job that you always wanted and, and you begin to pursue that at the expense of not pursuing Jesus. Um, and, and then you're like, man, I, I'm getting to be man, mid-20s, late-20s, and I'm in my 30s, I'm still single. And, and to live is, man, my body. Man, I'm going to do that CrossFit thing. I'm going to do that, stay in that hot yoga so I can continue to shed that weight so that, man, I can be ready, you know, when that, when that guy comes, that girl comes. And then you get married. You, you, you made it. And then you have them kids. And then one thing turns to like, oh, now, now I got to get, I, I get that zip code, right? I got to get on that street and I got to have those kids so I can take those Christmas pictures and post them and get those likes. And, and now I need to build my platform. And, man, I want to be that influencer, and then you get to be 40, 50 years old, and kids are leaving the house, and man, you, you got a pretty good portfolio working. And it's amazing, man. Like, you, you have made it by the world standards. But, but then you look down at the decades of your life only to realize that you missed out on why you were really created. Like you look down and you're like, man, those things aren't bad in themselves. Like they're really good things. And they were passion points in my life. But I forgot to tell my passions its purpose and I never really shared the gospel and I didn't really mentor any women or I never discipled men and I, I, I never really knew my Bible in my 20s and I got, I got some good things but a life that didn't do those things is a wasted life. And you come down from the ladder of your life only to realize by the time you're 60, 70 years old that the inventor of every great endeavor was God. And he had a bigger plan and he had bigger purposes for you. But you... Wasted them. You didn't do anything with them. I believe, friends, that that is the biggest tragedy. Getting to the end of your life and realizing that you missed out on the one thing that was going to give you purpose now and for all of eternity.
So if your life is a ladder and every wrong represents a decade of your life, how are you going to live your life? How are you going to spend these years, your 20s and your 30s? Are you going to spend knowing God? Are you going to spend making him known? Because I believe a life that is spent doing those two things, no matter what you end up doing, being a CEO or you're a janitor cleaning toilets, man, I promise you, you're not going to live, you're not going to look back and see your life and be like, man, I, I miss my purpose. You're going to look back and you're going to be like, man, I, I, I was fulfilled. I was satisfied. I please God. My charge tonight is that you would allow the Spirit of God to intersect wherever you are in your life, whether you're in, you're traveling down that road, pursuing Jesus, knowing him and making him known, or you're, man, you're taking the road that many other people take. It's the road more traveled. I pray tonight that you would course correct. Spirit of God, would you come and would you allow my friends to experience a life that would be well lived and that when they finish their race, they would look back on their life and they would see that they lived well, that God, you used them for an incredible purpose. God, that they would see that there's nothing greater than knowing you and making you known. That they're going to begin to really, really live when those things happen. Some of them tonight, God, they're going to they're going to walk out of this place and they're going to live and learn. And life's going to give them a whoop and I pray that doesn't happen. Or some of them tonight, I pray that most of them will, if not all of them, will live and then learn. But hey, listen, we can live and learn or we can live or we can learn and then live. And I pray tonight that they would learn and then live. And the things that were said tonight, that God, if, I didn't, if I said something that wasn't helpful, that they would forget about it. But if I said anything that was helpful, God, by your word, that they would latch on to it and that they would take it and that they would use it for your glory and for their joy and for the world's good. In Christ's name we pray, amen.